Good morning, everyone, and welcome to Julius Bear's Moving Markets podcast. It's Thursday, the 12th of October, and my name is Helen Freer. On this morning's show, I'll be talking about the latest market news with Bernadette and Derko. Then in light of the ongoing conflict in the Middle East, I'll be talking to Norbert Rucker about what the implications are for oil. And Nicola Jordan is also on the show this morning to update us on the latest news from the CIO office. But let's start, as always, with the latest market news. Good morning, Bernadette. Good morning, Helen. So why don't we kick off with what happened in the European stock markets yesterday? Yes, sure. Um, European equities closed mixed yesterday, uh, pausing for breath, really, after a good rally on Tuesday. We saw a sell-off in luxury retail shares that upset the apple cart somewhat, um, and also a hotter-than-expected US producer price reading didn't really help the situation. Um, LVMH, the world's biggest luxury firm, reported a slowdown in growth that was bigger than the markets had expected, and their shares fell by as much as 6% um, as the results pulled the wider luxury sector lower. Okay, um, and what about US stock markets? Yeah, there are all three major indexes uh, closed the session higher. The Dow Jones Industrial Average climbed just shy of uh, 0.2%. The S&P 500 gained 0.43%. The top performers there being uh, real estate, utilities, telecom and tech, and they all closed up between 1% and 2% higher. And the strongest performer of the three indices was the Nasdaq Composite, which added 0.71% to close at 13,659 yesterday. And of course, we had the Fed minutes yesterday as well. Any important insights there? Yeah, the Fed minutes that were published yesterday showed that officials agreed last month that policy should remain restrictive for some time, while noting that the risks of over-tightening now have to be balanced against keeping inflation on a downward path. Um, And aside from these minutes, Helen, we did also have comments from two Fed officials yesterday. The Boston Fed president, Susan Collins, said that Fed officials are taking a more patient approach now, that rates are, are at or near their peak. And her Atlanta colleague, Raphael Bostic, said that the central bank doesn't need to keep tightening unless inflation's descent starts to stall. And what about the Treasury market yesterday? Yeah, in yesterday's US trading session, we saw two-year yields rising a basis point, while the 10 years fell nine basis points. Uh, The US Treasury had a $35 billion 10-year note auction yesterday, and that came in with a yield of 4.61%. That's the highest since 2007. Okay, let's move across to Asia now then. I see that the news about China's sovereign wealth fund buying more shares of the country's largest banks has had a positive impact on markets there. Yeah, that's right, uh, Helen. Asian markets have generally been performing well this morning. I think they're seemingly expecting a market-friendly inflation print from the US today. Um, Just a few data points in Australia, the S&P ASX 200 was up 0.2%. In Japan, the Nikkei 225 is over 1.3% higher. And South Korea's KOSPI has also risen nearly 1% and is actually holding near its two-week highs. The Hong Kong Hang Seng Index has climbed over one and three-quarter percent. And then, as you said, China's sovereign wealth fund, this central Hojin investment uh, company, has announced that it's going to increase its stake in four of the country's biggest banks. And that's seen as a move to renew confidence uh, in the stock market. So the, the four banks involved are the Bank of China, the Agricultural Bank of China, Industrial and Commercial Bank of China, and China Construction Bank. And they've seen their shares rise between two and a half to four and three quarter percent in early trading this morning. While the broader CSI index is up just north of uh, what it was, just up north of 0.8% when I last looked. 
So Central Hojin has boosted its stake in each lender by 0.01 percentage point for the first time since 2015. And importantly, it's said that it's going to continue to increase these holdings over the next six months. Okay, so despite the rally today, let's not forget that so far this year, the CSI uh, 300 is down nearly 5%. Um, So when it comes to Chinese stocks, I think all eyes now will be on China's third quarter GDP data, which is due to be released next week. Okay, um, and what else is going on? Any other highlights to report? Well, one big headline I saw is that ExxonMobil has agreed to spend $59.5 billion uh, to buy the shale group Pioneer Natural Resources. That means that the deal values Pioneer at $253 per share. Uh, The Financial Times reports that the combination will hand Exxon a dominant position in the Permian Basin. That's the vast field in western Texas and New Mexico that's helped to turn the US into the world's largest oil and gas producer. Um, And then other things in the news, we've just had a slew of data out of the UK. One thing I've seen um, bang in line with expectations is that GDP grew by 0.2% in August, exactly as economists had forecasts. The UK's dominant services industry grew by 0.4% in the month, offsetting declines in production and construction. And what about the day ahead? What should we be looking out for today? Well, it's clearly that all-important inflation number from the US. Uh, CPI is uh, forecast to have slowed to an annual rate of 3.6% in September, so from 3.7% the previous month. Uh, We'll also get jobless claims data from the US too. Okay, and just to finish, how are markets set to open today, Bernadette? Uh, European and US futures markets are broadly set to open higher. So uh, let's keep our fingers crossed for that inflation number. That's it from me today, Helen. Excellent. Thanks very much, Bernadette, for the roundup this morning. Thanks for having me on. Now, Norbert, let's move over to you. Good morning, firstly. Good morning. Now, I know you spoke on the podcast on Tuesday about some of the implications of the conflict in the Middle East. If we look specifically at the oil market, it's pretty afraid about oil supplies as a result of what's going on. What do you think the risks of an escalation are, Norbert? And do you think the fears about an oil crisis are warranted? Well, the oil market definitely very swiftly moved into focus because oil basically is the link that makes this uh, military conflict, uh, which is a regional one, into kind of a broader global economic challenge. So these fears about an escalation, the fears about oil supply disruptions, that has been kind of the dominant element over the past days. And it's really all centered around an involvement of Iran, harsh political retaliation, and the risk of infrastructure attacks and thus disruptions to trade and oil flows. And uh, some of the coverage even went as far as kind of drawing a comparison to the oil crisis in the 70s. But this is really completely overlooking how different the oil market today is. Um, overall, we believe that such an oil crisis scenario is very highly unlikely because there are very few signposts that there has been a meaningful outside involvement in the conflict, in the attacks that erupted over the weekend. But exactly this outside involvement would be prerequisite for the conflict to escalate and spread into the broader Middle East. And geopolitics tends to create a lot of noise, but usually price moves are only temporary. Do you think this time is going to be different? This is the main point. We don't think that this time is very much different. So geopolitics or the how the, the, the way oil markets or any commodity markets handle geopolitics can be quite an, an emotional at times. We know that there's still lots of noise, still uncertainty related to this conflict, but it's so far really seems centered around Israel. And this conflict is primarily resetting the relationship Israel has with Palestine. So there's a limited escalation so far that has been happening. 
geopolitics is really a noise element that usually doesn't have a lasting fundamental impact. It's something that injects temporarily some uncertainty premium into prices and the duration, how long this premium is lasting, if it's for days or if it's for weeks, primarily is a relationship of the intensity of the shock. Um, we believe that the shock today is uh, rather small and we believe that the oil market should really revert back uh, to the trends uh, that has been established before um, the last weekend, basically heading back towards caring about supply situation and the market mood overall. And to be honest, that seems to be also what the market itself is thinking. So we have seen already today how prices, or less today, how prices have been heading backwards towards US dollar uh, 85 per barrel. Uh, so the market also doesn't seem to be too concerned about this conflict spreading. And if you look back, there's actually some precedences for this. We had the war in Lebanon in 2008. We had different wars in Gaza, um, I think between 2010, 12, 14. And neither of these conflicts really had a measurable impact on oil prices. What's your outlook for the oil market then? Well, basically that the oil market as we knew it before last weekend somehow reestablishes the situation that the market debates, um, the supply situation that it debates, uh, the demand forecast, uh, um, the supply forecast. That said, maybe geopolitics remains a bit a relevant element for longer. And the reason there is that what we're looking at today is Saudi Arabia that has a solo effort in terms of artificially and broader aggressively curbing supplies. And eventually this policy needs to be replaced with a different policy. But how exactly the patronations, the OPEC plus, will adjust their policy next year remains open and there's different ways how they could do it. Now, there is this uncertainty element there, and maybe this uncertainty element around the future of patronation politics somewhat increased um, because one consequence of the conflict might be that Saudi Arabia stays a bit longer with their, with their cuts, and consequent might also be that the West tightens sanctions on Iran. However, with these elements in mind, the Asian buyers always found the ways to trade Iranian and Russian oil outside of the West reach, and the United States is quite wary of fuel inflation. Thus, up to date, we don't think that these implications are, are meaningful, but they're rather limited. So overall, we did not trust any projections on the oil market, did not trust our views, our forecast in the oil market. We stick to a cautious view, uh, see oil prices heading lower, and our forecast for the mid of next year at US dollar $75 uh, per barrel remains unchanged. Okay, thanks very much, Norbert. Great to get an update from you again this morning. And let's move on to you now, Nicola. Good morning and welcome. Good morning, Helen. I want to start by asking you generally about the markets. I mean, investors have suffered quite a lot recently. So what do you make of the latest market developments? Yeah, well, I mean, even though we were expecting the current correction phase in the markets, it's obviously never a pleasure when it arrives. The thing is, in such cases, it doesn't really make sense to sell or protect everything for just a few weeks, as long as our medium-term outlook uh, remains positive. Despite what happened in recent months, all of our balanced multi-asset strategies remain positive year-to-date, which is certainly something that not a lot of people would have expected at the start of the year. Of course, this current correction has now once again woken up these naysayers. If until recently it was necessary to sell everything because the economy would go into recession in 2023, it is now necessary to sell everything because the economy is resilient and long-term interest rates keep rising 
which would then inevitably lead to a recession at the end of 2023. So am I right to assume then that you're sticking to your positive outlook for the remainder of the year? Well, I would be lying if I said that this continuous rise in interest rates wasn't making us a little bit nervous. But as you know, we prefer to forecast the economy by listening to the markets rather than the other way around. The good news is that the markets, so the S&P 500 and the credit markets, still see no recession on the horizon. A healthy dose of anxiety can certainly be useful, but we continue to be bullish. But as always, there is of course the possibility of something happening which makes the markets drop further. However, the good news about the current correction is that there are plenty of assets to buy right now that were out of reach until recently. Okay, but let's say for a second that the US economy were to enter a recession at the end of this year. What sort of stocks would you prefer in such a scenario? Yeah, that's definitely something we are looking at as well. And in this economic contraction scenario, which is of course not our base case scenario, large caps would clearly fall less than the average. Firstly, because they have the best balance sheet quality and are not sensitive to the widening of credit spreads that would severely affect the rest of the market, particularly small caps. Secondly, they would probably benefit from the rapid fall in interest rates that would follow. And finally, the starting point is favorable, since intrasector valuation differentials would widen during a recession, which would lead to an underperformance of value stocks relative to their quality growth counterparts. That's it from my side. Back to you, Helen. Excellent. Thank you very much, Nicola. Thank you. So that is all for today. Thanks very much to today's guests and thank you all for tuning in. If you enjoyed today's show, don't forget to subscribe and please also leave us a review on whichever platform you like to listen on. We would love to hear your feedback. And do join us again tomorrow when I'll be speaking to more of our colleagues about what is moving markets. Until then, have a great day, everyone, and bye for now. The information and opinions expressed in this podcast constitute marketing material and are not the result of independent financial or investment research. Please refer to www.juliasbear.com forward slash legal forward slash podcasts for further other important legal information. Für unsere deutschsprachigen Zuhörer, we would also like to make you aware of Marktanalysen und Gespräche, a monthly podcast in German where Julius Baer experts discuss some of the latest market developments. We share our key research and insights on today's ever-changing economic landscape in German. Search for Marktanalysen und Gespräche on your favorite podcast player.